0: No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply.
2: The Buck Sexton Show. Very pleased to be joined now by David French. He's a staff writer at National Review. He's also a veteran of Operation Iraqi Freedom and the co-author of several books, including most recently the number one New York Times bestselling, Rise of ISIS, a threat we can't ignore. Great to have you, David.
1: Well, thanks so much for having me.
2: Uh, so let's first, first just talk about – I know you had a short piece in National Review, uh, I think it was on the corner, about Germany and the refugee situation. And it's something that I don't think a lot of people pay attention to, which is that sometimes it's those who are already in Germany who are doing the radicalizing. Walk us through this a little bit.
1: Yeah, this was a really intriguing little item in the, uh, in the in Reuters that basically said Syrian refugees are coming to Germany – and are finding that the German mosques are too radical for them, that they are uncomfortable in the German mosques. So uh, essentially there are two basic kinds of, just to oversimplify, two basic kinds of of mosques in Germany, the Turkish mosques uh, uh, servicing the large Turkish population in Germany, and then the Arabic-speaking mosques. And so Syrians don't speak Turkish, they speak Arabic. Um, the Turkish mosques tend to be more moderate in Germany, but the, the mosques that actually speak their language, Arabic, seem to be overrun with Wahhabists and Salafists. These are the extremist uh, strains of Islam that that spawn jihad. So you actually have Syrian refugees being indoctrinated into Salafism and Wahhabism by German Muslims. Um, which is counterintuitive to what a lot of people would ordinarily think, but for those who've been paying close attention to what's happening in Europe, you know that there was already, even before this migrant population arrived, a radicalized Muslim population in Europe. Uh, they were preaching and speaking in uh, mosques constructed in Europe and staffed by Europeans.
2: And it also is is clear that they're preaching this uh, Wahhabist Islam to a group that would be at least ostensibly you'd think it would be more susceptible to more extreme interpretations just given the deprivations and the violence and the things that they've been subjected to so they're sort of exploiting this refugee inflow after the wahhabist ideology which has already been exported by saudi arabia all across europe uh has established roots there
1: right i mean you know and that's one of the one of the terrifying things and one of the disturbing things about uh, the, our reality is that Saudi Arabia, has, uh, our alleged ally, has been the primary exporter of this ideology, and they've been doing it for decades, and they do it all over the world. They don't just do it in madrasas in Pakistan and Afghanistan or in mosques in Syria. They've doing, been doing it all over, including Europe. And and that's the thing that is, um, and I think for Europeans is something they're going to have to grapple with for a generation or more is this notion that they have, they have had radical Islam. Radical Islam has been lavishly funded and supported, uh, by their alleged ally, the Saudis, and it's turning their population, uh, their Muslim population, many, many members of the Muslim population against their countries. Uh, and and that's why what you're seeing in some of these terrorist attacks are coming from German citizens, coming from French citizens. Uh, and, you know, we've even had it in the United States coming from American citizens or American permanent residents um, who had been radicalized, again, here locally.
2: I want to switch gears a little bit to another post you have on NationalReview.com. We're speaking to David French, who's a staff writer at NRO. Uh, when college students think America invented slavery. I found this fascinating. Please tell us a bit about it.
1: (laughs) You know, you're never going to go wrong. Uh, You're never going to be able to overestimate the the ignorance of the American college student. Uh, But there there was a really interesting piece in the college fix that I highlighted of a professor who spent 11 years giving uh, his students essentially a civics quiz, a a short history quiz. And he found that they are Ignorance of the wider world and in American history was pretty breathtaking. That, that they literally viewed slavery as essentially a uniquely American phenomenon, not knowing it, that it existed essentially in all cultures uh, across the entire world and in in, throughout the entire history of human civilization. They thought that it was something that the uh, Americans and Southern Americans had invented, making them sort of uniquely evil in the history of the world. Um, moreover, I mean, they when they were even asked about, say, how— How do you identify Thomas Jefferson? The overwhelming majority identified him as a slave owner and not as a president. So it it was fascinating to see the extent to which the effort to sort of re engineer public education hadn't really made American students more well informed. It had made them more, uh, had made them a, a sort of politicized, selectively ignorant.
2: You know, to, to sort of connect your uh, your two pieces here in in, uh, in a way, I, I'm always amazed at the lack of of I guess it's the lack of instruction in schools about this, but also even people who otherwise think of themselves as particularly well read and maybe even uh, erudite uh, have no no background, no knowledge whatsoever in the vast slavery uh, that was conducted under the Ottoman Empire, uh, the enormous slave empire that the Ottomans were operating, and even up to and including the Barbary states and their raids in Europe and the seizing of, of Christian Europeans for centuries by Muslim states, oh, specifically for the purpose of millions. slavery. They never talk about yeah. this.
1: It was, I mean, uh, the slavery was uh, it, looting, pillaging, and raiding the southern European coast for the purpose of taking slaves was common for centuries, resulting in millions of kidnappings for slavery—millions, uh, much less the slave empires that existed in the Americas when the Spanish first arrived. I mean, think about the Incas. They would conquer—or uh, the Aztecs. They would conquer neighboring tribes, seize people, not just for slavery, but for human sacrifice on a mass scale. So, you know, it's, it's this weird world where you have, as I called it, the condesc- condescending ignoramus that the, the student who thinks that they understand the true history of America, when they don't at all, they have no clue. Uh, they have no clue about the wider world. They look at America as this uniquely evil and uniquely pernicious place and the rest of the world being victimized by American, uh, you know, um, American colonialism and greed. When the reality is slavery was a fact of life across the generations and the millennia, and it was American culture and British culture that really took the lead in putting a stop to it. Um, And it's not to our credit, obviously, that we continued the habit and pattern of slavery that long predated the founding of the United States. But it is very much to our credit uh, that we had a powerful abolition movement, that um, that we ended the scourge of slavery. It's very much to Great Britain's credit that it ended the scourge of slavery and even used the power of the Royal Navy to do so. To uh, destroy the slave trade. So, you know, but again, people would say that British and American culture are, are colonialist and greedy and expansionist and terrible and uh, inflicting uh, tragedy on the rest of the world. When the, really the reality is pretty much the opposite.
2: And I know, David, you've spent some time, as have I, in some uh, some nasty places. And one thing that that can come up there, and this this is another uh, sort of thread that I pull from from your post here on National Review. Is that we talk about racism in America uh a lot and it's an issue that's often, you know, it's some it feels like some news channels are during periods of time entirely devoted to the subject of racism for weeks, perhaps even months on end. And I think that also that results in many young particularly younger people, and dare I even say millennials, which technically I count as one, I think, maybe still, uh who believe that racism is a uniquely American experience when actually spending <laughs> time in other parts of the world you realize most of the rest of the world is so much more racist than America that Americans couldn't believe it unless they heard it and saw it and experienced it for themselves. Oh,
1: they can't imagine. They cannot imagine. I mean, uh, you know, look, here's what's unique about America. We are a uniquely diverse, uniquely multi-ethnic, and uniquely peaceful society for all of that diversity and multi-ethnicity. Um, if you look around the world to find other nations that have so many disparate groups with different backgrounds, not just different European backgrounds, but different backgrounds across you know, Africa, the South America, Asia, all coming to the United States, where is another democracy this diverse? Most other countries are far more centered around eth- individual ethnicities or religious groups than we are in the United States of America. Uh, but we look at the friction around the edges, and of course there's friction around the edges. Everybody knows there is, but we look at the friction around the edges and we say, well, that's the story of our unique evil, rather than we, again, you flip it around. We are uniquely good as a nation, but we're not perfect. And you can't look at the imperfections and say that that denies our goodness.
2: I, I think just as, as some uh, examples of what I was still alluding, alluding to before, uh I have friends from South Asia who will tell who will tell anybody who wants to know that even to this day, culturally, I mean, they're not announcing this from you know loudspeakers of political campaigns, but culturally speaking, lighter skin is often is 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 considered sort of more desirable, and, and it's it's still very widespread there. Um, and they actually think it's a very strange practice in America that people would go to tanning booths and such because it's so ingrained in the culture that lighter skin is more like uh, the sort of Brahmin. It goes to the caste system. Uh, the most racist things that I have ever heard in my life were uttered by. Well, I'll just say it were uttered by uh, either Muslim Iraqis or Muslim Afghans—the uh, craziest, most racist things <laughs> I've ever heard. And and it was one of those things where you know, not a, I don't want to get into a gun battle with anybody over this, but I remember being like, "Wow, that is racist," <laughs> and, and it wasn't yeah. that unusual to hear that sort of stuff. So I think that most Americans just have no conception of that.
1: Right, exactly. I mean, I had to laugh when you said what you had heard in Iraq and Afghanistan. I cannot agree more. I mean, shocking stuff. I mean, shocking to our American ears. But it's only shocking to our American ears because we don't get out that much to other cultures and understand how unbelievably bigoted they often are. Um, You know, one of the stereotypes is, you know, of, of American racism is, well, you know, black Americans have trouble hailing cabs. Well, if you go to new york it 's not like white rednecks that are behind the wheels of these cabs generally um, there's actually
2: know the stats on this there're about seventy five percent of them are recently arrived immigrants and also uh, and, uh, and more than half of them are from the uh, basically South Asia region from uh, Pakistan right. India, and bangladesh
1: right and they didn 't come here open minded and then get tainted by American white supremacy. <laughs> they came with the values that they have and So, you know, it's uh, you're exactly right. Yeah. I mean, you never ask a
2: Saudi what they think about, you know, for example, African Muslims, because there's a decent chance you'll be horrified. You will be horrified.
1: Oh, much less never ask a Saudi or uh, or um, an Iraqi what they think of a Jewish person.
2: Oh, yeah. If you want to get ready for
1: your, for your hair to stand on, end.
2: But, and, and yet, if you ask somebody, well, you know, does America have the, if you ask a lot of college kids, does America have the greatest struggle with racism in the world today or the greatest legacy of racism? I, I think you'd get an overwhelming number of kids on a lot of campuses saying yes. So it's just a question. It's yeah. not to excuse any racism or the history of slavery. Right. It's just to put it in the proper context. But you have to know the history to put it in that context.
1: Right. Nobody No rational, sane human being says there's no problem of racism that existed in the U.S. Of course there has been a problem. Of course it was much more systematic and comprehensive many years ago. Uh, And, of course, there are still racists. But the idea that these college students have, and that's what we're targeting and talking about here, is that America is uniquely racist, uniquely evil, uniquely committed to slavery. All of those things are fundamentally
2: wrong. David French is a staff writer for National Review. Check out his latest on nationalreview.com. David, always great to have you. Appreciate you calling in. Thanks so much for having me.
1: The Buck Sexton Show.
2: The experts at web.com want to build your
0: business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current web.com customers. We've used and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than web.com